Well, hey, we're headed to Luke chapter 19. If you've got a Bible with you, get it out, turn it on. Luke 19. Luke is in the New Testament of the Bible. So we all have these things. I guess you'd call them like convictions. They're sort of standards, a set of beliefs, set of guidelines that dictate, you know, how we live, how we think, how we behave. Things like treat other people the way that you want to be treated. We have these convictions, these guidelines about life that sort of point us in a direction. And in some ways, we sort of personalize. We choose ones that are really important to us. So like for me, one of my convictions is that you should leave something better than you found it. So if you borrow your friend's car, like don't pull that thing back in on fumes. Fill up the dang gas tank before you return it to him, right? Like this is really important. Leave it, leave it better than you found it. Make a good mark. Make a sort of a positive legacy. We have lots of convictions. I have a conviction about toilet paper. The toilet paper, when you put it on the thing, the toilet paper should go over the top, not underneath, right? Like, listen, if I come to your house and I see that it's underneath, I'm gonna think that's weird. I'm gonna wonder what other weird things you do in your house. This is really important. I have lots of convictions. I have convictions that dogs are awesome and cats are evil. Dogs are cuddly and cute and snuggly and cats should go back to where they came from, which is hiding under a bed where they're gonna jump out and rip your face off. I have convictions about fake Christmas trees. I mean, you fake Christmas tree scrooges. What is wrong with you? The baby Jesus is born by a dang tree. One of the convictions that I'm trying to live my life around that I want to wrap my life in, I want it to ooze out of me, is that I believe that we are never more like God than when we're generous. Our God is a generous God. He is a giving God. At his very essence, at the core of who God is, he is generous. So you, you, you think back all, back all the way to the beginning, go back to the book of Genesis, Early in the pages of Scripture, what is the first interaction that God has with man? God, remember, God breathes life. God gives life to humanity. And God makes this whole beautiful world, this creation, and he gives it to mankind. He goes, here you go. This is yours. Rule. Subdue. Fill the earth. It's all yours. God is a giving God. He is always Generous, And so over the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about how generous God is. And we're going to do it by looking at the life of Jesus when he was on earth. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus, when, when he was on earth, as far as I can tell, because when we think about generosity, what do we think of? Don't we, we think of money, right? Money and possessions. As far as I can tell, when Jesus was on earth, he had no money and he had no possessions. And yet somehow the pattern of his life is radical generosity. He is always being generous. In fact, the Bible says that the fact that Jesus even came to earth was an act of generosity, that his life in totality is an act of giving. The apostle Paul writes in Philippians, he says this about him. He says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing or he gave himself by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death or he gave himself over to death, even death on a cross. Jesus' entire life 
coming to earth on Easter, dying and rising again. I'm sorry, coming to earth on Christmas and dying and rising again on Easter. It's all one big act of generosity. It is God giving us his son and Jesus giving us himself. And so as 2020 comes to a close, we're going to look at this conviction that Jesus lived with about being generous and living a generous life. And my hope over these next few weeks, I don't know, my hope is that somehow God will stir something in my heart and stir something in your heart that perhaps we would live and love generously like Jesus. Because when we do, when we live generously, we put on display the character, the love and generosity of our incredible God. So here we go. Let's talk about generosity. Luke chapter 19. We're going to walk through it slowly today, and I'm going to give you some of the details about sort of what's going on in the story, but here we go. Let's go. Luke 19, starting right there in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus entered a place called Jericho, and he was passing through. Now, when you hear of Jericho, you hear the city of Jericho, you might think of Old Testament, there's this city called Jericho. And you remember, God tells Joshua and his armies to walk around the city of Jericho seven times. And so they do that. They march around the city seven times, and then they blow a big trumpet. And what does God do? God tears down the walls so they can take the city of Jericho. That's the same city. But by Jesus' time, Jericho is this thriving place. It's a hub for trade. It's this connecting point from east to west. And so lots of industry, lots of things happening here, lots of money changing hands, lots of business. And so Jesus is going into Jericho and it says he doesn't intend to stay there. His plan is not to stop in Jericho. He's passing through. Watch what happens. It says a man was in Jericho. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So there's a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is what's called a tax collector. Every city had these people who collected taxes. He wasn't just a tax collector. That wasn't just his job. He was like the boss of the tax collectors. And here's how this worked. At the time, the, the, the Jews that lived in Jericho and, and really the whole empire was governed by Rome. The Roman Empire spread out across a large part of the world and they governed all these places, including Israel. But one of the things about the Roman government is they didn't actually want to rule. They just wanted money. And so they would tell, they would conquer these empires, they would take them over and they would say, listen, you can continue to run your own government. They'd have these little local governments say, you can continue to run your own local government. Just send us money and we'll protect you. If somebody attacks you, we'll protect you from them, but send us your taxes and, and just make sure you behave. Don't get out of line. Make sure you follow the rules. Play inside these lines. Send us money and it's no problem. If you screw that up, we're coming in. But as long as you play by the rules, it's no problem. And so what they would do is they would have local people be their tax collectors. And so Zacchaeus is a tax collector and Zacchaeus is a Jewish guy. And so right away, I can tell you that his countrymen, his fellow Jews, they don't like him. They see tax collectors as traitors because their job is literally to take money from their own people and forward it on to the bad guys, send it on to the big mean Roman Empire. And so no one's going to like this guy because he's taking money from his own people. On top of that, most tax collectors were corrupt. 
they would take money, they would take the taxes and they'd charge extra taxes and they'd kind of put a little in their pocket and then they'd send on to Rome what they needed to. And so they're all corrupt and so they're stealing from their own people. And so typically tax collectors are pretty much despised. And Zacchaeus is not just a regular tax collector. Like this whole pyramid scheme, he's sitting on top of this thing. He is in charge of this thing. He is so corrupt and so he's probably loaded. The dude's probably got mega bucks. But everyone hates him. I mean, he has all the fortune that he could want, but he probably doesn't have any friends. Probably no one likes him. When he comes walking down the road, people hide from this guy because he's coming to steal from them. He's seen as just totally corrupt. But Zacchaeus hears that this guy named Jesus is in town. And he's heard of Jesus for a few years now. Jesus has been wandering around the Middle East. He's been doing these miraculous, like just crazy things. He's been preaching in a way that no one's ever spoken before. And people are like mesmerized by this guy. And Zacchaeus wants to know about him. Zacchaeus wants to put his own eyes on him and hear Jesus speak. He's heard all these things, but he wants to see it for himself. And so he, he hears where Jesus is in Jericho and he goes running out to see him. But the problem is the crowds are a bunch of people deep. By now, Jesus has crowds everywhere he goes. And so Zacchaeus, is, he's trying to see, but the Bible says he's short. It doesn't tell us how short, but it, it, it really sounds, the language that he uses is, He's really short, like remarkably short. And so Zacchaeus can't see over the crowds, but he wants to see Jesus. So watch what he does. It says that Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming his way. Stay on this scene for a second. If you got your Bible, circle the words ran and climbed. This is interesting because in this culture at this time, and, and you might say like in most cultures, but certainly at this time in this culture, activities like running and climbing are not things that a grown-up would do. A grown man is not going to run, and a grown man is certainly not going to climb a tree. These are the activities of a child. And whatever people might think about Zacchaeus, he wants to be dignified. He wants to be proper. He wants to be seen as the top of society. He is not going to be running along the road and climbing a tree on a normal day. That's the activity of a child. It is far below him. And I think this is so fascinating because you might remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this passage. I think it was in Matthew 18. I think it's Matthew 18, 3. And Jesus says something. He says, unless you will become like a child, Unless you will become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what is Zacchaeus doing? He's acting like a child. He's doing things that a child does. Running and climbing. These are things children do. And Jesus was saying, unless you will humble yourself, you will become like a child. You'll never get to me. You'll never see me. You'll never enter the kingdom of my father. And so that is exactly what Zacchaeus is doing, because he just wants to get to Jesus. He's willing to do whatever he has to do to get to Jesus. There's crowds, whatever, he doesn't care. He'll climb a tree. He'll climb out on the branches of this sycamore tree. It's this big tree with these, these broad branches. And he'll shimmy out on one of these things. He'll stand in here, he'll lay on the edge and look down because he wants to see Jesus. He doesn't care if it's embarrassing. He's gotta get a glimpse of this Jesus because He's been told that this guy is unbelievable and he offers grace and joy and peace and he wants to see for himself. Watch this. The story goes on. When Jesus 
reached this spot where Zacchaeus was, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, how does he know his name? I mean, that's unbelievable to me. How, how, you might think like it would be easy to go, well, he just used his divine power. He just, he knew it was Zacchaeus. I, I think it's more than that. I think that this guy had such a reputation that Jesus knew who he was. I think people had come to Jesus and said, Jesus, there's this Jewish guy. He's our countryman in Jericho and he's this short little tax collector and he's stealing from us. I think Jesus knows exactly who this guy is, which makes it even more memorable that he calls him out by name. And what he's about to do is even more remarkable. I think Jesus in Jericho and he goes, well, how many short little tax collectors are there, right? He knows like this is probably the guy, this is Zacchaeus. And so he sees him in the tree and he calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus came down at once and he welcomed Jesus gladly. He took him to his house and had this warm welcome for him. Now stay here on this story because it's actually really fascinating. Zacchaeus is up in the tree. He's waiting. He's just looking to get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus is walking down the street. There's crowds. And he sees this, this guy up in a tree. And he calls to him, Zacchaeus, come on down. And he says to him, I want to come to your house. I'm coming to your house today to stay. So every once in a while in the Bible, there's something that happens. And because we live at a different time, we live centuries after these events, we live in a different culture, we speak a different language than what the Bible is written in. Every once in a while, this doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while, there's some sort of clue. There's like a little cultural clue or some little subtext that we miss. So if we took this story and we read it to somebody uh, of a Middle Eastern background, we read it to somebody who, who was living at the time or even somebody today who's from a Middle Eastern culture and we read this story and said, what do you think about this story? What stands out to you about this story? What they would say is that they would say they are highly offended by Jesus. In this culture, you don't invite yourself to anyone's house. You only go to someone's house if you're invited. If the king shows up at your house, he doesn't get to come in unless he knocks on the door and you say, oh, would you, would you like to come in? The fact that Jesus is saying, I'm coming to your house, I'm going to stay there today, is really offensive in this culture. It's really out of character because so many people lacked the adequate resources just to care for themselves that it was really presumptuous of somebody to say, I'm coming over and you're going to feed me and I'm going to stay with you and you're going to take care of me. Because hospitality is really expensive, but these are a really hospitable, communal people. And so they wouldn't say no to someone. They would want to welcome people in their home and they would want to give them the best of everything. But it's possible that would like, cause a great expense for them that they can't afford and so you don't just invite yourself to someone's house, but that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today and I'm going to stay there, right? Like we're gonna have some time together. And people would have been ticked off about this. They would have been appalled by this. But what's remarkable about it is that Jesus is really putting, pushing aside all cultural norms. He's like, I'm going to break down whatever cultural barriers I need to. I'm not going to live in the bounds of cultural context. I'm going to do anything and everything that I have to do because there's this guy Zacchaeus 
This guy that wants so badly to experience grace and peace that he ran and climbed a tree. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to show Zacchaeus that I care about him and that I love him. Don't forget that. We're going to come back to that. Keep going in the story. All the people saw this. They, they saw what happened. They saw that he was, Jesus is going to Zacchaeus' house. And they began to mutter, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And I'm always perplexed. Like, why are people so worried about who Jesus associates with? Like, we see this all over the Bible, where the religious people get so mad about who Jesus hangs out with. Listen, Luke writes this on a bunch of occasions. Luke writes this in Luke chapter 5. It says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people, right? They complain to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and with sinners? Luke 15 says, now the tax collectors and sinners, they were gathered around. They wanted to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these religious people, again, they're muttering, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They get so mad. These people have as much access to Jesus as they want. And it's not good enough for them. They want Jesus to spend his time running around shaming people and judging people and pointing the finger at people. But instead, Jesus eats with them. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. These are the kinds of people that Jesus hangs out with. These are the kinds of people that Jesus associates himself with. And these holier-than-thou religious people are standing over in the corner, a bunch of goody-two-shoes, polishing their halos. They won't even accept the fact that Jesus would have a meal with someone that doesn't think like, act like, talk like, look like Jesus, and look like what they think a person that Jesus would associate with should. These people are so mad that Jesus is running around with some folks that are a little rougher, a little rougher crowd than you might expect. They are so mad at Jesus. They want Jesus to shame them. These religious people want Jesus to, to judge them. But it's not who Jesus is. And so time and time again, instead of judgment and condemnation from Jesus, what we see is Jesus entering these dark, forgotten segments of culture and of, of society, these places that people are forgotten, these places that people are not cared about, these places that people are kind of pushed away like, oh, you're dirty, he enters these places specifically to bring light and love, to forgive people of their sins, to bring them hope, not to clean up their act, not to make them look shinier on the outside, to make them better people or to give them a better way to live, not to make people religious, but to bring joy and peace, to bring people into a relationship with God. Jesus cares more about these sinners than he does about his reputation Jesus cares more about loving people and setting them free from guilt and sin and shame than he cares about what people think of him. And the religious leaders are over in the corner and they're going, he better condemn these sinners. He better shame them. He better judge them. He better set them straight. Jesus better bring that hellfire and brimstone on these people. And Jesus goes, no, it's not. It's just not who I am. It's not what I'm about. It's not what I'm going to do. He says, no, I'm, I'm generous with love. I'm generous with joy and peace. I'm generous with patience. I am never endingly generous with forgiveness and 
If you don't like it, religious people all over there in your little perfect holy huddle that looks so happy and wonderful and perfect all the time, he goes, if you don't like it, honestly, I don't care because I'm willing to lose everything that this guy Zacchaeus would know that I love him. I'm willing to risk everything. My reputation, I don't care what you think about me. I will risk everything so that these sinners that you cast aside so that they know that I love them. And Jesus will do this. It will ultimately cost him his life. Jesus is too friendly with sinners. He hooked his wagon to the wrong star, I guess you might say, and it's going to cost him his life. But I don't think he cares because watch what happens. It might be worth it. See, Zacchaeus had experienced sin and shame and judgment all his life. It's all he knew was people casting him aside, was people calling him filthy, calling him a sinner. Okay, we've tried that, but watch what happens when Zacchaeus actually experiences grace. Here's the story. Zacchaeus, they're at their house now. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to Jesus, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. That lines up with, a, with an Old Testament Jewish law of what you were supposed to do if you'd wronged someone. So Jesus responds to him. Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Watch this. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. All oh, the religious people, they wouldn't have liked this, but here it is. This is this is whatever you think the whole Jesus thing is about. This is the entire purpose of it. This is the entire purpose of Christmas right here, bundled in one verse, Jesus' words, not mine, that Jesus came to earth to find and save his lost children. That's it. And anything that he has to do to accomplish that, Jesus will do. Some days it will take a miracle. Some days it will take bringing someone back from the dead or, or, or healing a paralyzed person. Other days it's as simple as going, Zacchaeus, let's go to your house and have a chicken salad sandwich together and just spend time, you and me. He'll do anything that he has to do to show people like you and like me that this is why he came to seek and save the lost, to seek people like you and me, to find us in our sin, to forgive us and raise us up and to give us new life, to save us, redeem us. And he doesn't care what people think about his methods. He's not concerned with whether you and I think about that, that he's doing it the right way, with whether we think he's hanging out with the right kind of people. Jesus' singular laser focus is proclaiming the good news of forgiveness, the good news of the kingdom of God. And whatever it costs him, he's willing to do. And if people don't like it, he's, he's okay with that. Because look at Zacchaeus, the proof is in the life of Zacchaeus that life change happens when people experience grace. Here's Jesus. And he's just going, man, I'm gonna be generous with love. I'm gonna be generous with forgiveness. I'm going to be generous with peace and joy. I'm going to be generous with my reputation because it is love and only love. It is not condemnation and judgment. It is love that will transform people. We've tried those other things. That's not working. He says, we're going to try love. I think what I love about this story, what is so 
fascinating and gripping. The more I get into this story, the more I looked at this story, I think what I love is I like when I can identify with characters. I like when characters and stories speak to me. And there's something about this story. You know, it's pretty pedestrian, right? Like Jesus isn't walking on water. He's not turning water into wine. He's just having a casserole with this dude named Zach. And they're just hanging out together. So pedestrian. But something about it comes alive. And there's something in this story where it's like some days the Zacchaeus part of the story is so real to me. And then other days I could read the story and it's like I might align more with the Jesus side of the story. And, and it's just both sides are real. Here, here's what I mean. Some days, and maybe this is you today, you hear this story and you go like, I, okay, I get Zacchaeus. I kind of get this. Like maybe today you're joining us online or you're, you're here on campus and, and you're just going, I just wanted to know more about this Jesus. You know, I've heard about him, seen some things about him, but I just I kind of wanted to see with my own eyes, hear with my own ears what this Jesus is all about. Like, if that's you, that's awesome. Let me just tell you who Jesus is. He's, he's generous with love. And he sees you. And he calls you by your name. And kind of like with Zacchaeus, he goes, I want to come to your house. I want to I come and be a part of your life today. He says, if you will follow me, I want to be a part of of your journey, and I, I want you to know that I love you, and my purpose is not to make you a better person or not to make you religious or anything. Like, no, I want to give you hope and peace and joy, and I want to give you life. And, and, and we can go, yeah, Jesus, I believe that, and I, I want you to be a part of my life, and that's awesome. There's another part of this side of Zacchaeus that, I don't know, this just hit me heavy. There's, it reminded me of something that Jesus says, in the book of Revelation, where he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who have put their faith in Jesus, people who call on Jesus as Lord and Savior. And yet, the priority of their faith, the priority of their relationship with Jesus is sort of, it's sort of faded away. And, and this is real for me because in 2020, I know that there have been times that I can point to that my relationship with Jesus has not been a priority for me. Honestly, I've 2020 has been really frustrating to me. And there's times where I've been so focused on what's going on in the world and how people are responding to it. And I'm so frustrated by the news and we can't believe anybody. And why is the world making these choices when I think they should be making these? And I've just gotten caught up with it. And my, my relationship with Jesus has not been what it could be or what it once was. So this is so real to me. Jesus is so generous with love and patience and grace. Listen to what Jesus says in Revelation, speaking to Christians. Revelation 3, he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And it just reminds me of him going, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Because I hear in this, I hear Jesus going, Hey, hey, Brad. Remember me? Remember we were walking together and you, you kind of pushed me out. I'm standing at the front door and I'm knocking. I'd love to come back in. And I see, Brad, I'm not going to bust my way in. I don't work like that. I don't force my way into people's lives, but I'd love for you to, to welcome me back in. I'm, I'm here. I haven't gone anywhere. I've still been your savior. I'm still here for you but I want to walk with you hand in hand. And you kind of pushed me out. Brad, will you, will you open the door? Welcome me back in. I don't know. Maybe that resonates with me. I don't know. Maybe you're like, not for me, but maybe it is for you. 
Maybe there's something in that where you're like, yeah, 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 I hear that. Because 2020 has been the kind of year where my faith has not been a priority for me. And all this staying at home and even this watching church online, like it's gotten really hard for me. Maybe for you today, it's you hear that knock. Jesus goes, hey, I'm, I'm here. I haven't gone anywhere. I'd love to come back in. There's something about that that just goes, man, Jesus is there and he's knocking and he wants to come back in. That just resonates with me. There's the other side of it, though. There's the Jesus side. And there's sometimes uh, that resonates with me. Jesus was so generous with whatever he had. He used whatever he had. He leveraged it to love people. And I am just convinced that we're never more like Jesus than when we're generous. And so my question for you, let me just push this to you today. My question is this, what do you have that Jesus would be generous with? Meaning, if Jesus had your time, if Jesus had opened your calendar and had your time and schedule, how would he structure it in a way to be generous? If Jesus had your bank account, if Jesus had your money, what would he do with it to be generous? If Jesus had your relationships, if he was managing your relationships, your family relationships, your friendships, how would he administer encouragement? How would he be generous with forgiveness? What would it look like if Jesus had the things that you have? What would it look like for him to be generous with those things? I'll give you an example, just a real-time example. This is our story, our journey. It might not be yours, but this is just conversation that we're having in our household right now. So it's Christmas. We love Christmas. We love buying gifts in our house. We have three kids and we love getting them awesome gifts. We love Christmas morning and seeing the look on their face. It is the best. And my wife, Nicole, and I love buying each other gifts as well. And so every year we, we sit down and we go, okay, what does Christmas look like this year? What's the budget, right? We come up with the budget. Here's the number. Here's what we've got for Christmas this year to make it a great Christmas. And then honestly, secretly, we go our separate ways and like double that. But we come up with a number at least to start with. Like this is going to be our budget to make it a great Christmas. And we wanna have a great Christmas. And we also wanna be really generous this year. So we're doing this Thanksgiving 2020 generosity challenge, right? And so we're giving money towards a couple local organizations. One of them is the Kindness Project, and they work with local foster families and foster kids. And our kids are adopted. They were adopted out of foster care. They were in foster care for a while. And so we have a heart for this stuff, and we want to be really generous. And so we're having conversations. We've brought our kids in on this conversation. We're having conversations. Okay, we want to have a great Christmas. We do, and we think God wants us to have a great Christmas, and we want to be really generous. So what does it look like to have a great Christmas and be generous? What would Jesus, if Jesus is sitting at the table having the conversation with us, what would he be saying about generosity, about how we can experience a wonderful Christmas and we can experience being generous? Because being generous is like, that's when we're most like Jesus. And so that's some of the real evaluation around generosity and asking what would Jesus be doing if he had in his hand what we have? So as 2020 wraps up, what do you need to be generous with? Don't just think financial. We always boil, we simplify generosity. We boil it down to financial. It's so much more than that. How could you be generous with forgiveness? 
Maybe there's somebody you've been bitter, you've been mad for a while. What would it look like to extend them forgiveness? Do they deserve it? No. What would it look like to give that to them? What would it look like to be generous with your time, to be like Jesus where you didn't care about your reputation? You know God put someone in your life and they don't look like you, think like you, act like you, and it's gonna be messy, but to spend time with that person. And other people are gonna go, why are you doing that? You you don't care what they think because you're focused on love and you're willing to be generous with your time. What is it that you need to be generous with? Here's what I'll say, and I'll just finish here. Whatever you have to be generous with, do it. Trust the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit's leading and do it. Do not, church family, don't be afraid to risk everything to love people. It's exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. And we're never more like him than when we're being generous. Pray with me. Oh God and our Father, you are generous. You are always giving. You give us more than we need on a regular basis. You give us the basics of life, but you also give us joy and peace. You give us your son, Jesus. Father, help us to be generous. Help us to see what we've been given as something that we can leverage to love people, as something we can use to show people generosity and kindness to show them your character and love. God, help us today to step out of ourselves, to get out of our own way, to stop thinking about what we don't have and to think about others and how we can serve them and how we can be generous. God, the the truth is, if Jesus was not generous, we'd have nothing. We would have no hope. If Jesus was not generous with his reputation, he would have never hung out with a sinner like me. But he didn't care what the religious people thought. He cared about love. God, help us to love like Jesus, to see people like Jesus does. We've done judgment and condemnation and shame long enough. Help us to be people who we go into those dark, forgotten corners. We see the forgotten people and we show them light and love like Jesus. God, thank you that you are so generous that you even gave us your own son. You loved us that much. It's in his name we pray.